Good morning to all of you. What a joy it is to have you here and worship together this morning. Thanks for coming. My name is Dee, and what a privilege it is to be your pastor and um, bring to you um, or bring to your attention a few of the things that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, first, just acknowledging that in this uh, room yesterday, what a wonderful event I heard about. Um, the uh, women's retreat that took place, the day-long um, activity in here, and have heard nothing but absolutely wonderful reports about it. So if it was not part of your agenda, I strongly encourage you to uh, think for next year, or putting it on your calendar, uh, because I heard it was an absolutely wonderful gathering. There are a couple of items that you'll find in your um, bulletin that's inside the worship folder. I know you can read, but I would love to just remind you of a couple of things in the life of the church. Um, one of those is the upcoming service day, which is this coming weekend, November 16th. We would love to have you participate. It'd be helpful, though not absolutely necessary, for you to let us know that you're coming so that we can plan the projects and the uh, people that we can assign to it. It's simply a morning. We're not expecting you to be here all day, uh, but we do have quite a few things that we're trying to accomplish. We gather to have a, kind of an orientation and uh, then set off on some projects to make a difference in our community. Hope you might want to consider making that part of your weekend next weekend. Um, one of the items that is part of the annual tradition of this church is to participate in providing for Thanksgiving meals in our um, city. And so we partner with two churches that do this in uh, areas that are closer to the downtown area of San Diego. And what a privilege it is, I know that a number of volunteer on those actual meal times, but that we all can participate by bringing food items to contribute to that. And so the specific food items for those meals, you'll find on a sign-up board out in the uh, Friendship uh, uh, Plaza area, an opportunity just in your normal grocery shopping over the course of the next week to pick up some extra items and uh, bring them next week. We're on a relatively short time frame for this, so if you are thinking of participating, just see what's left to be provided on that sign-up board. We would love for your help in that. Um, I also, I um, want to remind you the very colorful brochure that was also in your worship folder. We are embarking on a very full calendar time in the life of the church. You certainly don't expect anyone other than your pastoral staff to be at everything, but we invite you to everything. Identify those things that would be wonderful and meaningful to you, your family, and mark the money calendar. Stick this on your refrigerator. Join in. On the one side, you'll see all of the special services that we have going, um, and they are just wonderful, the ways in which many hours and hours and hours of preparation, like the Sounds of Christmas, the children's musical, when we all come together for the New Year's breakfast. Um, on the other side are some other items that aren't Sunday morning related in particular, but want you to be aware of them as we move forward into this season. I know this is early on, it feels, but we are already to mid-November, and so wanting to keep you posted that Advent is just a few weeks away. Um, finally, 
I would like to acknowledge that one of the very powerful ways in which we begin our worship together is to pass the peace of Christ. It is an opportunity to let somebody know you're glad they are here, but as well to honor that long tradition of hoping and praying for God's peace on one another and that that might make a difference in our journey collectively and individually. So stand with me if you would. Turn around and greet someone this morning. Let them know you're glad they are here.
Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? The word of the Lord.
we bring with us all of who we are. All our experiences, all our concerns, all our joys, all our hurts, you walked in with them into this place of worship. And when we come to prayer, if we are not coming with that kind of honesty and transparency, then we've missed the power and beauty of worship and grace. Because we're invited to come just as we are. So into this time of prayer, may your spirit and God's spirit meet as the one who knows you best offers to step into the journey with you, with us, individually, collectively. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this place where we can come and set aside space, time, thoughts, to think about our journey with you and with each other, to pause long enough to maybe reestablish priorities, that our agenda might somehow begin to align with the work that you're doing. We might hear your voice inviting us to join in, maybe simply through a conversation with a neighbor, an encouragement, someone in the marketplace, or simply participating in a service day project so that we can think of issues that are larger than ourselves. And yet in these moments, Lord, you invite us to bring to you all of those issues that do have to do with ourselves. Our concerns, our illnesses, our relationships, certainly, Lord, our <coughs> salvation and relationship with you. All of the questions that we have that sometimes feel like they go unanswered, the petitions that feel like the response is silence, and yet the rhythms of prayer, coming to worship on a Sunday morning, 
going through a pattern that is familiar to us, may it remind us of the hope that we have. May it remind us of the ways in which we have touched our lives in the past, protected, provided, watched over. So that in these moments, as we offer up those same petitions, we might hold on to hope, do our best to offer our faith to the equation, but most of all, Lord, to simply trust. Trust that even when it feels like not much is happening, that you are actually at work, bringing about your purposes. So Lord, help time to not discourage us. Help the passing of moments and sometimes days and weeks not discourage us from continuing to offer up our requests to you. On this special weekend, Lord, I pray for those who are currently serving in our military and what often seems like an impossible position that we have put them in. <coughs> Lord, we will peace come and reign and may a portion of your peace move into the hearts of those who serve that they sense your spirit and your presence with them. And for those, Lord, who have, and the experiences from what has been, has lingered it in a way that calls for your touch and your healing. Lord, it just seems like it comes at a cost. But I pray this morning, reminded of those many issues that seem to lie beneath the surface, or at least slightly out of view for many of us this morning and this week, would raise to our attention and we would offer prayers, prayers of healing, restoration, hope, Father, I pray for those this morning who are wrestling with how to respond to the issues that are all around us. Will you give us wisdom how to step into action, how to take our faith and to make it tangible, to actually live out our journey with things that we do, not just by words that we might say. For those who wrestle deeply with the suffering that they are experiencing, Lord, would it be possible that you could offer relief? But likewise, Lord, will you call us as a body to come alongside, to suffer with, to hold, to be friends and companions for those who are on difficult journeys. For those, Lord, who are recovering from very difficult addictions, for those who are finding just daily to stay afloat. Again, may the journey not be alone, but may we find ways as a community to support and affirm and encourage and step in to what feels like a vacuum 
and be a word of encouragement and love and grace. Father, this is pretty high order, pretty tall requests this morning. You've told us to pray beyond our own resources. You've invited us to stretch beyond our own capabilities and self. Doing so requires that we trust and depend upon you. And that's our prayer. Give us the courage and the faith to depend upon you for what you are doing in us and among us. To that end, we offer the prayer we have prayed so often. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, to be
not always to thank God for you, brother and sister, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The word of the Lord. Which would certainly be important amidst 
such drastic persecution that they are facing. And so the section that Charlene read for us this morning really offers like a summary at the end of the letter. As any good letter, you want to reiterate your points right at the very end, right? In case they read your letter too fast. So he's hitting the high notes here, right at the end. And in his summarizing of this letter, Paul quickly repeats those three themes I mentioned just a moment ago. We see that there's an affirmation to remain unified right in the opening verse of 13 with a call to always remain thankful for the brothers and sisters. And you see that in the green there. So gratitude is that first theme he emphasizes. And then second, we see this reminder to sanctification, this process of being made holy. And Paul talks about how that works because God has saved us through the work of the Spirit that comes to transform us. That that's fully God's work. And that we respond to the movement of that gift of the Spirit. We give our faith. We give our belief. We give our trust. So he's reminding them of the basics of how holiness works here. And then third, he gets that point of encouraging them to remain steadfast, right there in the purple. To stand strong in the faith that they have and hold on to the teachings that they've received in the dark and scary times that they're living in. Now, before we get into particularly the orange point here, before we really look into sanctification and holiness and what does that mean and look like and what was Paul emphasizing, I want to take a minute, personally, and just practice Paul's admonition to gratitude and to be thankful for you, my brothers and sisters. So I've been on staff here as associate pastor a little over six years, and I just returned this week from two weeks away on vacation. Now, I have never missed two Sundays in a row. And to be honest, I probably won't ever do that again. <laughs> as many of you know, in my, I always say in my past life, I, my former career, I was an elementary school teacher. And being gone for two weeks around here is like making subplans. If you're a teacher, you know you know, but like on steroids. Like it is so many subplans that you have to make when you're gone for two weeks. I went to Ghana for one week, and I officiated my best friend's wedding there, which was a, a remarkable experience. And then it was one of those vacations that was great, but I needed a vacation from the vacation, you know what I mean? And so I took a second, I've got people like, yes. So I took a second week and went to Czech Republic and visited my college roommate, who's been living there for a while. And as being away does, it clarifies your life at home, doesn't it? And I, I already knew the deep gratitude that I have for you and my affection for you, but you know, while I was away like a proud parent, I got to boast about you and what I love about you and my friends, or, you know, the person on the plane next to me who would listen to me. <laughs> I'm a plane chatter. I'm one of those, yes. Um, and while I was gone, I received updates from you about how things are going back here at home. And I woke up Sundays, and you were on my mind. And then I kept sleeping in a little bit, but you were on my mind here. And of course, I, I've been reflecting on what has characterized our common life lately around here. Things like your continual meeting together here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. Uh, the work that many of you are doing in our subcommittees for building a new strategic plan. 
I thought about our Creation Care Committee and our Justice and Advocacy Committee and how they guide us so faithfully and so well. I thought about the way you all volunteer in various ways, not just here, but across our city, the ways you give around the world, our classes here on Wednesday nights, the retreat that took place right here yesterday that we were preparing for as I was on vacation. And I just think of all these things and more and I'm astounded over and over again by your bravery, your faithfulness, your devotion, the way you trust in and love each other, your kindness, your willingness to tell the truth, and your love. And I'm honored to be one of your pastors. I'm honored to call this church my home church, too. And I'm grateful for you, brothers and sisters. So in keeping with the flow of the passage, Paul expects gratitude for your family of faith. And he also expects that believers are going to live into sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit so that they can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is getting at here in this sanctifying language is really this theological notion of imago Dei, which means the image of God. And essentially, what image of God means is that God is holy, as in fully, but also holy, as in set apart, holy and holy, other. And that we are able to participate in that otherness, that specialness, that righteousness of God, precisely because God created us in God's own image. And though we're not God, and we've got to get that straight, we're not God, we get to bear the likeness and the love of God. And that is a theme that's opened up for us in the very first pages of Genesis, and then it's repeated and resounds throughout the remainder of our sacred texts. Genesis 1, right out the gate, says this, that God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. It goes on to say, so God did create humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female created them. God saw everything that was made. And indeed, it wasn't just good. It was very good. And then, moving on from Genesis, we get to the Gospels. And the world-shattering, the gripping message of the Gospel is that Jesus gives us this actual picture of what holiness looks like, how it gets embodied. It's more tangible in the life of Christ. It gets taught to us through the words and ministry of Christ. And we, from Christ, are invited to share in it, to be holy as God is holy, as Jesus Christ is holy. That is precisely how we get to share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul writes here. We take after Jesus. We aim for what is Christ-likeness. Now, over these past six weeks, if you've been here on Sundays, then you know that we've been part of a series. And we've been looking at the streams over time that have developed of Christian thought and Christian practice. And for our refresher, those are holiness, contemplative traditions, the sacramental and the evangelical, or charismatic, sorry, and sacramental traditions, and the evangelical and the social justice traditions. Now, if you're new this morning, or you've only been here a couple times, don't worry, I'm going to walk you through this. And if you are not new, I'm still going to walk you through this, so we're all going to walk through it, okay? All right, so by way of a quick overview, these six streams, or we could say avenues, 
or methods even of practicing and living out Christianity, these six refer to these like general big categories that Christianity tends to fall into. It's not exhaustive. And we could have altered these definitions, these categories, we could come up with four groups or ten groups, but we like these six. We feel like these six do a pretty good job at encapsulating how over the past, oh, you know, 2,000 years or so, Christianity has taken shape. And, and where these categories fall on here is actually important because the columns give us a focus for the groups. So you'll see here in the red that the, the left columns groups, which would be the holiness and the contemplative groups, those two groups really, really focus on our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And the middle column which is the charismatic tradition and the sacramental tradition, well, that focuses on the relationship with the body of Christ, with the body of believers, as the core element of Christian faith. And then the right column generally, which would be the evangelistic group and the social action group, generally would consider the core of Christian faith to be the relationship with the world beyond the church. So if you grew up religious, you were likely shaped by one column over another. And it would have been bizarre, or it might have even seemed wrong, if someone had introduced to you that the other column might be the way to go. I know for me, I was raised over here in this one-on-one -on -one relationship, essential. It wasn't until later in my journey that I met people for whom growing up in a sacramental tradition, honoring the rituals we do together, that was basic, and this was the new idea. And so we're raised and we're shaped, if we grow up in this Christian tradition, generally by the column or the group that our particular faith group belong to. Now, denominations might actually fit pretty squarely into one of these six boxes. Like, let's say the Assemblies of God denomination. It's pretty at home in the charismatic group. But then there are other traditions that might inhabit multiple like the Lutheran Church, for example, which is pretty sacramental in terms of its worship format. But then it leads the way for a lot of other denominations for its religious social action through its nonprofit arm, Lutheran World Relief, which has been around for a really long time. So many centuries and a global expansion of this religion of ours, Christianity, has led to these various expressions of what it looks like to follow in the way of Christ. And after talking about all six of those, what I want to emphasize really clearly this morning is, and hopefully you've picked this up throughout the series, but I'm going to reiterate it right here, is that all of these six ways, all of them, are following in the way of Christ. And that is because all of these six categories derive from they stem out of the very life of Christ. So if we start with the holiness box up here, which we said was more like a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, Jesus evidences that for us. In the relationship he constantly talks about with his Father, he is always referring to the oneness with the Father and inviting those who follow him to participate in that relational oneness. 
Jesus, as he's being tempted in the desert, and he's crying out in prayer to God to be with him, that's a one-on-one, -on -one, that's a personal solo journey. We also see that Jesus accepts a mission, right? He's sent to earth a purpose, and he accepts the mission to die, and then he resurrects. And that following of a personal call, a personal mission, that's deeply holiness tradition. That we would listen to where God's leading us, and we would obey. But we also see in Christ's life this contemplative practice. We see that pretty consistently as Jesus is part of crowds, and then they're like, where'd he go, right? He like slips out the back door. And Jesus just needs to be alone. We see it when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane in his deepest, darkest hour. He's heavily meditating on what God's asked him to do, on his mission. We see it when he is interacting at a dinner time with the Syrophoenician woman who begs him to help her. And we see that Jesus has to wrestle with what he's going to do in that moment. He's, con he's contemplating. He's in prayerful action in that very moment. But Jesus wasn't only solely fixated on his one-on-one -on -one relationship that Trinitarian relationship with the Father, we see Jesus very much living among the body of believers. We see Jesus's charismatic nature in that he promises the Spirit. He is, he is telling them the Spirit is going to come and animate you in a way you've never known. And that is what those in the charismatic tradition lean hard into, is the movement of the Spirit. Jesus also prophesies and knows what's going to come, which is something that the charismatic tradition values very much. And he is healing people all the time. Think of the woman who touched his cloak as he's walking through the crowd, knowing the power that was in him to heal her. And divine healing is something that our charismatic tradition reminds us is available because it's present in the very life of Christ. Christ also participates in sacramental life. He sets the sacraments in motion. He's kind of the author of the sacraments. He's baptized. He's kind of the first one to be baptized. And you don't, as I often say, baptize yourself. You can't. You need someone else, right? Somebody's got to lean you in that water, bring you out, and there's a crowd to surround you when you're baptized. It's not a solo one-on-one -on -one thing. That's a corporate thing. That's a body of Christ. Christ also gathers his disciples to feed them that last supper, <coughs> that ritual that he says not only will we do, but everybody who comes after us, they're going to do that too. He sets in motion these corporate, these common practices. Jesus washing feet, things like this that he encourages us to continue to do as a body. And then in this category over here with evangelistic and social action practices, Jesus is deeply both of these as well. He cares so much about what's going on in the world. He's not only focused on those who believe his message, but he wants his message to go beyond. And certainly, Jesus is evangelistic. He is preaching to crowds. He is telling people your faith has saved you. He's quoting Hebrew scripture, he's pulling back 
to scripture that Jews would have known so that he can invite them into the fresh new covenant. He's leaning heavily on scripture, which is something the evangelistic tradition is very heavily emphasizes, is knowing scripture shall always be ready to offer a word of invitation. And then lastly, Jesus, we know, is deeply caring about the social structure around him, those in need. We think about how angry he is in the temple, that there are practices of exploiting people taking place right in the foyer, and he turns the tables over. That's some righteous anger in the social action category. He has a very clear message that the last will be first. Right, that what you think is going to happen because of how humans are wired, we're going to flip that, and the kingdom of God looks different. Jesus' ministry to those that he shouldn't have been ministering to, historically, like women, the Samaritans, lepers, children, on and on. Jesus pushes past those boundaries. Jesus is extremely at home in the social action category. And so we see, just in a quick look at Scripture, that Jesus embodies and lives in all six of these. They capture the well-rounded but complex, dynamic life of Christ. His thoughts, his actions, his motives, his mindset, we see those all throughout these lists. And no one box here alone could contain the richness of Jesus' journey. So we've been placing an emphasis the last six weeks on these streams and reviewing them, not because we're moving toward a culmination like today where we say, surprise, we're going to tell you the best box. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. That would sure be easier, though, wouldn't it? No. But we've been reviewing these because we want to be a church. We want to be a people who are living among these boxes in a balanced way. And by being a church that lives among these with balance, then we invite you in your journey with God to live a balanced way. Because all of this is the life of Christ. And Jesus himself invited us to follow in his footsteps. In fact, he promised us that we would do the things he did and more. We've been invited by Jesus Christ himself into Christ's life. So we're going to lean, as a church, into these six boxes. But we're probably going to, at times, lean into some more than others. Dee and I are constantly talking about, where's our church on this chart? Where are we? Now, our Church of the Nazarene, the denomination that we're a part of, was born in the height of the holiness movement. And so, we bear those marks. The holiness movement emphasizes the belief that God wants an intimate personal relationship with every single one of his creation, and that we're to listen carefully and then obey with what we've been asked to do. That's very Christ-like. So we here at First Church, because that's our heritage, we bear those marks pretty naturally. The Nazarene way is the way that raised and shaped me, and it's given me this rich inheritance of connection to God and a sense of God's nearness, a sense of God's presence guidance, and friendship. But the environment that raised me didn't really teach me about the meaning of communion that well. 
And that's not to say all national churches are that way, but mine was that way. We didn't take it very, very often. I certainly had never heard the words of Lent and Advent, these rhythms of Christian tradition. They were foreign to me. I, I never was given a prayer handed down from the saints of the church. And so when I learned about the sacramental tradition, borrowing from the saints who've gone before, leaning into Christian tradition, in my 20s, my Christian world exploded open. My extroverted, social, rhythmic, ritualistic nature, it felt at home in that box as I was exposed to new communal disciplines. It helped my highly individualistic faith grow. And in college, through the classes that I took and the friends that I had, exposure through chapel and other things, I, I saw the grave realities of injustice and the inequities of the world. And it suddenly sparked the gospel to come open in a whole new way all over again. There was like a new lens that I was looking at the life of Jesus. I could see that he speaks so frequently about the poor and money and how pretty consistently he's upending social systems and structures that take advantage of people. So for me, if I was to place myself on this chart, I would say I'm like a Holyoke Sacra socio girl. Okay? <laughs> That's me now. <laughs> From how I was raised, and then the influences that have shaped me. That's the mix that I bring to our community, pretty organically. I'm a product, like you are, of backgrounds, of life experiences, of personality. And so are you. You might find that following in the way of Christ lands you in one box more than another, or in a unique set of boxes here. And our church, just like an individual, like me or you, our church is no different. We're kind of doing pretty great with the holiness box and the social action box. We're, we're, we're rocking it, I would say, in those parts. We're very intentional and thoughtful about our sacramental life. That's more work for us to do, but we're, we're doing that pretty well. We have many of you in the congregation who call us to be more contemplative and remind us of the importance of that. And we recognize that we still as a body have work to do in the evangelical stream and in the charismatic stream. Those are more foreign to us here. And just because we're a Nazarene church doesn't mean we live solely in the holiness box. Recall that all of these groups reflect the life of Christ. And our goal as a Christian body, is to emulate the fullness of Jesus Christ. And you, each of you, will help us get to that balanced place as you bring who you are to us, as you've been doing and will continue to do. Bring your unique wiring. Bring the ways that you've been shaped and shape us. And then I invite you to please be open to being shaped by those around you. That you'd be open to being stretched and changed as you're exposed to different ways of exploring this rich faith that we share. This is my public statement to you as I'm preaching this today, that there are ways that I need to grow. But as the middle column reminds us, praise God, I don't do that by myself. I grow with you, this beloved community that continues to teach me and shape me all the time. We reflect the fullness of Christ as we really do this together. So I invite us this morning, let's join together 
Let's seek Christ together as we bring in our natural tendencies in that pursuit. As we open the practices and ways of thinking that are less comfortable for us, as we open ourselves to those things. For if all of these six things are good enough for Jesus Christ, then it most certainly is good enough for us. Amen? <laughs> good enough for us, the ones who are made in the image of God, the ones that have been invited amazingly to share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We invite up Victor as we sing a song together in response. Let's take our hymnals and stand as we sing together hymn 668, The Church's One Foundation.
verse is so beautiful. The church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are the new creation by the water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life, for our life, he died. I want to leave you this morning with the words from the end of 2 Thessalonians, that benediction that Paul gives to the church so long ago that is so fitting for us this morning. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and may God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you this week in every good deed and in every word. Amen. Amen. You may go in peace to love and serve our Lord. Amen.